Hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So this is episode 163 of the podcast. Guys, I cannot thank you enough for your support. Everyone who has shared, everyone who has liked, everyone who has even listened to a second, downloaded one episode, shared it with mates, whatever it may be. Um, so I'm going to continue to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing on the podcast. Some of the guests that are coming up, including this one, are it's mind-blowing where the podcast is right now so i kind of thank you enough for that and i wouldn't be there without your 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 support so please do continue to share it so the next guest is astrid narako uh and i've looked at astrid's uh, astrid is anti-diet underscore dietitian up on instagram and i followed astrid for quite a while and she's one of like her knowledge is is quite scary and we talk about kind of why body shaming is never acceptable tips for changing your mindset around food exercise and we talk about kind of like improving relationship with food and the importance of having a why and why people need to dig a little bit deeper when they actually pick a goal we need to to look at kind of danger in the dose we talk about reverse dieting uh, recovery diet and see what the difference is between those so if you are kind of at that stage that could be very useful for you we talk about intermittent fasting as well so it's it's very very useful um astrid is a nutrition expert binge eating uh, freedom is one of her main things um and she has recently joined up with the coaching team over in biolane which is created by lane norton and he knows his stuff so yeah i'm super super excited and astra gave up a lot of her time but it was very late in the evening over in australia so i'm super super excited for you guys to listen to the episode with astrid astra thank you so much for coming on thank you so much for having me if anyone's not aware of astrid you need to check out her page but like astrid had it's like very late over in australia when we're doing this so i'm very very grateful for your time but can you give a little bit of a background how you kind of got into this whole field your background etc so whoever doesn't know who you are i don't know where they're living but whoever doesn't know who you are where can people find out about you awesome so i, I, I i'm gonna go in the in the short version of my story because i can get so inspired and to speak and speak and speak and i'm not going to be able to stop but basically what can I tell about my life and how I got into dietetics is it's basically very funny because I was a very childish young girl that only wanted to be fit and wanted to learn how to create the perfect diet to be lean. That that was my sort of my main goal when I thought about being a dietitian because I assumed that dietetics was only about doing meal plans but obviously when i got into dietetics i realized that it was much more than that and it was kind of doing a medicine career but obviously mostly dedicated to nutrition because you see biochemistry anatomy physiology uh, physiopathology you see so many different things and like this is not just to actually write down a menu or a meal plan for someone it is much more than that so then i started getting much more in love within the career because it was amazing everything that you could learn and how much people you could help because it is not just about being you only anymore but now uh, the clinical aspect of dietetics which is pretty much when you go into hospital you work 
when you do your internship, you go to many different wards and you see patients in, in surgery. You see patients like very elderly patients that are malnourished. You see patients that are perhaps have an eating disorder or patients that need nutrition to heal, improve their healing when they, when they have um, a surgery or they went through a very serious period in ICU. So there's a lot of different things that you can do with nutrition or even people that might not be able to eat anymore. Do as a dietitian, you can, you can prescribe and design um, regimes that are pretty much like natural gastric feeds or pigs. So there's so much that you can talk about and go into. That that's why that's why I got in love into nutrition. I did my degree in about five and a half years. That's that's what it takes. What the, the time, the length of ten semesters. Finished there, uh, and that was my bachelor's degree in South America. Then I did a little bit of private practice in the middle. Uh, what, what once I graduated. I was doing a lot of nutrition workshops into the fitness industry, sports nutrition. And then I moved to Australia and I did my master's degree here. So it took me a little while because when I moved, I did not have a good English. So I had to study English first for at least a year to sort of get a level of the academic level I needed to be in a university. So I got into university did my master's degree two and a half years later. Uh, once I finished my master's, I started working straight away in a private hospital as a clinical dietitian in a rehab ward and in a mental health ward. So I'm actually the only dietitian in that hospital. So I kind of look after everyone that is in there involved and I do food service as well. So, so kind of I liaise with the kitchen to make sure everyone is happy. So this is very hard in a hospital setting. Um, but I also look after the patients in these two different settings. So we get the elderly patients uh, that came from a knee surgery or hip replacement, or they just reconditioning to get better, stronger. And we get these patients in the mental health ward that suffer from depression, anxiety, or they're getting um, like a detox from alcohol, you can, you can continue to think about all the different conditions that you might treat. So it is very interesting. It's been a very amazing experience. I still work in there uh, in the past three years since I started working in the hospital. And at the moment, I might also have so many hats because I used to work for the Clean Health Fitness Institute and then I moved. Now I'm going to start working with the team BioLane as a dietitian, oh, wow. yeah, nutrition yeah. coach. So I'm going to start doing that as well next week. So that's I'm going to jump as a surprise when they announce it. Um, and yeah, I've been doing my social media every day, consistent, uh, getting better at those things, doing my IG lives with different guests every week. And that's what I am. That's who I am, and that's what I'm doing. Massive congrats on the new gig with uh, the crew over in BioLane. That's a that's a big gig. No pressure. That's exciting. It's very exciting. I am. I'm, I'm, and I'm very honored that they reach out to me to sort of give me the opportunity and just kind of give me the the chance to 
well, why do you want to be part of this team? And I, you know, I, I used to work for them for, I worked with them for about two years and a half. Uh, I was doing the, the, the posts, the social media posts for them. Uh, so I was doing that for about two years. And then they, I sort of move on to the clean, working with the Clean Health Fitness Institute as a dietitian there. And I sort of circle back and now I'm back with them. So it's sort of... That's amazing. They want, it, it, it's, life is pulling us together again. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, like there's yeah. so, like we've so many questions and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that kind of is happening an awful lot at the minute regarding kind of like you've spoken about social media and the posts and stuff that are being put out there. And people are kind of like have a lot more time on their hands looking through social media and like body shaming is a massive thing and i think over in the uk they're talking about bringing in a regulation where if someone alters their body on a picture they have to put a watermark on the actual image so people won't get body shamed or anything like that why like i'm not for body shaming at all but why is it such a passion for you to kind of say why body shaming is never acceptable and what kind of things have you taught yourself about it and what kind of implementations have you brought in for other people or what way have you seen it go in the last little while? I think body, body shaming is never acceptable and it's not okay because it doesn't really help. Like you could see that obesity is obviously an issue, is a problem um, and is a, it puts people in high risk or for disease chronic disease and even like the all the prognosis of different aspects of health and well-being are at risk when you have a high degree of obesity or body fat level but it doesn't mean like that person is not worth it is not a human being um body shaming seems to be uh like a, an old strategy that people used to use to force people to get get them into uh, a poor reality to get them into like uh, maybe this is the best strategy to shame you so you are more prone to change but the the reason why it's not very effective is that actually there has been quite a lot of studies that report that patient that clients and people who are being shamed for the body weight the body fat they actually get worse. They have worse outcomes. They suffer from more depression, more anxiety levels, more stress. And they tend to sort of respond against what they are getting pushed into eating. So if the problem is uh, that they are struggling with their eating habits, generally when they are, they are being body shamed, that's a way they know how to cope with that. So instead of going away from food, they actually start relying more on food and they tend to eat more uh, and their, their habits tend to deteriorate even more. So that's why um, that seems to, to be a lot of evidence that not body shaming is not going to be uh, a very effective and not positive strategy for someone who wants to lose weight to lose weight because it is just going to put them in a worse mental health status and that's probably not going to help 
because what I, one of the things I say is that you can generally be get healthy or you can be a healthy person on the outside, but if you're not healthy in the inside, you suffer from depression, anxiety, you're not happy with yourself, your self-esteem is very poor, there is no point to be healthy on the outside because there, there's no connection. And generally when we look at health and well-being, there is a mental health component that pretty much overrules everything else because it can be a short-term thing that you can be physically look good and look very well. And you can see that like in people who like actresses, uh, bodybuilders, people who look really, really amazing, but they are so unhappy. Their self-esteem is so low. They suffer from depression. They have suicidal thoughts. There's so many things going on in their head. And then we say, well, if they, if we thought they had everything they wanted, why they are so unhappy. Yeah. So that unhappiness and those, those kind of things is what I always think that there's no point to have everything physically and be amazingly fit and look really good if, you're, if you don't know how to manage your mental health and learn how to be happy with the little things that you can have in your life. So I think it is just kind of, I, I, I know I went on the rant and I sort of deviate from body shaming, but I think it is important to associate and highlight the importance of mental health overall. It's brilliant. It's amazing that you mentioned there that someone could look aesthetically healthy to the outside world, but then they could have the internal dialogue, they could have the internal bites of depression, they could have a high a HA, they could be missing their cycles. Like it, there's so many different elements. Like if so, like I know from from working with girls on a daily basis is that they could be like, right, could look amazing to their friends or whatever, but you don't know what's going on internally. And it's a huge, it's a huge shift that's being put forward now is it was being put forward on social media that you have to look a certain way. And now it's kind of the body confidence movements coming through body acceptance movements coming through. And the acceptance thing is the hardest part for a lot of people. Cause when people go on weight loss journeys is that it's like, I'll be happy when I get to a certain weight, but when they find them, they get there, the underlying things are still there. And then they go back, they can, they can go back into really things quite quickly. Um, and I explain you why, and I explain you why the, the problem seems to be, um, Talking when we refer to to that particular issue is that people who have lost weight and they have been for a long, long time in a larger body, they think that's their identity. So when you think that that's your identity, and I was I have been doing speaking with many of my clients. Uh, because they feel like they struggle when they are losing weight and at some point for them it's like it seems too too good to be true or completely different from the what they are used to see their identity and it's something unconscious it's not like oh because i'm not looking what i how i should be looking or perhaps i'm changing now i don't like it and i want to go back it's something unconscious that happens that your body is not used to see that identity or it's just used to the failures uh, or like just repeating the dieting aspects oh well i'm not supposed to be different i'm not supposed to be fit i'm not supposed to look better and that's ingrained in your in your mind it's, it's something that completely uh overrules your actions unconsciously 
just because you don't there's a there's a high chances that you don't see yourself changing yeah. even though you want to change does that make sense i i, I think it, it sounds a little bit complicated but, but it is something that is behind everyone's head and mind is i have a certain identity that i have i have been living with for a long time and when i'm changing something that it that seems to be different from what i've been used to do uh or what i'm used to see it, it sort of scares you yeah. makes you feel that perhaps you won't be able to uh, or be capable to keep keep up with the changes or maybe you're too afraid to mess up or maybe you're afraid that you're get to so you're going to get so in love with these new changes and this new body that you're so scared of losing it that you don't want to get there so there can be so many reasons and that's the reason why i feel like there's so many issues with that getting to the the, the body you wanted and suddenly you lose it and then you you see yourself going backwards again but it's because of that identity that i am just explained does that i hopefully that makes sense i don't that know makes, if that makes that sense that makes sense because identity is something that i talk about with my clients in relation to there's certain elements that are kind of i don't think a lot of people understand i think a lot of people are realizing now that there's so many more aspects to a kind of a weight loss journey or a fitness journey it's not just right here's your calories you now work away and like go and do what it needs mm. to be and too many coaches do that and i think what's happening now is i think a lot of coaches and pts and nutritionists and stuff are realizing is that there's a more holistic picture to it and i think what's happening during this weird weird time that we're in is that a lot of those things that have been kind of potentially pushed down for so many years are coming to the top now because they've never dealt with them and then those elements are kind of coming in elements of self-sabotage are kind of coming in as well because it's it's ingrained in our psyche and our identity um, but that that makes so much sense um but one of the big things that you've spoken about kind of like the identity and the mindset stuff around things have you got any kind of tips for changing people's mindset around food or exercise or their body i know you put up a post around i think it was the 6th of january um about kind of tips for changing the mindset around the food exercise and body because that's one thing that people can go very extreme which was very restrictive and then they can go the other extreme of, right, I'm going to try and put on loads of muscle. So I'm going to eat everything in sight. And then you don't end up the way you, were, you want to anyway. Have you got any tips for changing that headspace? Absolutely. I think it is important to establish like a baseline and, um, and explain that everyone, I think and I, I, that's the, the roots of, the, of, of being human is that as humans, we are very emotional. And we also can we can also be very extreme. So we can either go to the all or nothing, or I'll do everything to the right or everything to the left. But it doesn't seem to find a middle ground or like a gray area where the people might be happier to go or, or, or walk towards. But it's at these extremes all the time. So I think when we when we talk about food or diet in general. Uh, and then we separate that from exercise and body. It's important to reframe and change the way you approach these things. So, for example, if you want to, if you have issues with your eating or your food choices, 
you want to change your mindset around food, for example, in, and rather than saying or feeling like, do I deserve this? Uh, do I feel, I feel guilty because I eat something, I ate something that is, it wasn't good or I've I, I been having foods that are bad, quote unquote bad, or I usually describe a day of eating as either good or bad, or I view food as the enemy. So these this completely black or white statements in our brain makes us damage our relationship with food and our choices when we when we sit down and and decide what to eat these kind of thoughts are going to lead us what to do or how to feel so i i've been really looking into explaining what 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 does what does mean having a good relationship with food because we've talked a lot about relationship with food but we don't really explain what is what this means in general so improving your relationship with food means improving the way you think you feel and what you do before doing and after you sit down and eat so it's not just when you sit down and eat you have a good relationship with food because you feel good about it but what happens before how do you have uh, anxiety uh, thinking about what you're going to eat are you thinking every single day, all day long about food just because you're stressed about messing up or eating the right, the, the wrong foods, or you want to eat the right food? So you're always thinking about, well, should be having this with this, and I'm going to have that as well. Um, but I really need to match my calories and my macros. And like it can be very extremist, but if that is always and all what occupies your, your mind, then there's something wrong in there. Same uh, when we we have had something. What happens? How you feel after? How? What are your thoughts about your body and what you ate? Sometimes people who have a very poor relationship with food or suffer from binge eating, they had a large amount of food, and then they feel guilty about it. They feel worthless because they had no power uh, or willpower to stop when they need it and this continues to bring a vicious cycle to keep continuing on this eating behaviors and messing up feeling bad and because you feel bad you start eating again to compensate and cope with the discomfort in your in your body that you did something wrong i know it that it makes it is just sounds weird because it's just this cycle that goes on and on. So changing that mindset to something like mindful eating, asking yourself questions and reflecting how you feel is much more powerful because sometimes when we when we when we not feel great, we think that perhaps food is the solution. Um, and that's where I come with this statement that if hunger is not the problem, food is not going to be the solution for it. So why shall we just focus on eating when it's not going to really solve the issue that is going on in our hearts or in that in our mind? So you always need to reflect on what is the root cause of the problem that is making me making me feel this way. Is it because I am angry at someone or I am having 
stress or anxiety attacks? Or is it because I am really tired and that's what I should be doing? I just should be resting or going to sleep, but we just go and eat because we don't understand what the root cause of the issue is. So we generally tend to utilize food as a coping mechanism to make us feel better temporarily, but it's something that is not going to last for uh, an adequate or sufficient amount of time that's really going to last sufficiently to make us feel better. So it's same like alcohol. People drink thinking, oh, I'm just going to drink to uh, to get to drown in my to drown my problems and and forget about them, but you don't really forget them. You might just step away for a while, but tomorrow you're not just going to have the same problems, but you're also going to feel trash, and you're damaging your body as well. So it's like a lot of different things going on. Just because you're trying to run away from the problem rather than facing it or trying to solve it over just using food as, as something that is not really going to make any changes. Now, I understand that eating emotionally has some good connotations too. So emotional eating is not always a bad thing. Emotional eating can be, well, I'm happy because I am celebrating one year anniversary at work. Or I just got married and I we're going to have a very special dinner. And that is something that really brings memories, emotions. And that could, could be called emotional eating as well. But it's not associated with a negative emotion that also brings guilt and brings shame. So it's important to acknowledge that emotional eating can go in a very different, like in an spectrum to look, talking about good emotions and positive emotions and that there can be situations where food is going to accompany, be accompanied with these emotions. And there's going to be the other side of the spectrum where emotions are, have a negative connotation and whatever you do with food is not going to really be the solution. And it can bring additional guilt and further negative emotions associated with it. So continuing in a vicious cycle. So the same approach I, I utilize with exercise, like people have a, this poor relationship with exercise, utilizing it as a, well, how much calories I need to burn uh, in one hour of exercises, or if I don't go to the gym today, um, I feel like I lose all my progress, or I feel guilty about it. So there, there's people that are so stressed that they actually feel anxious if they don't go to the gym or they ask, they ask me, is it okay if I have one day off? And I go, of course you can have a, a, a one day off. You should be having some must. You should be having days to dedicate for resting, recovering. And I can tell it from my own experience and my own life, because I used to be one who thought that I had to exercise every single day. To not, just to, not just to burn calories, but also to make sure I wasn't losing my progress and muscle or whatever I was focusing on. And I was completely over-exercising, tired. I was under-eating. And it wasn't very health, you know, very healthy spot in my life. So I always, when I 
grew up mentally and I understood that I don't need to be in this to achieve results and I can rest and I can enjoy foods that I, I enjoy and I like and still achieve my goals. That was so such a powerful life changing for me that I could still practice uh, like a flexible approach to dieting, eat the things that I enjoy in, a, in moderation, of course, uh, and allow myself to have everything I like whenever I wanted it. And now it's like, do you know what? I don't need it. I, I have no need to have it right now because I'm so focused on my goals. But at the same time, I know everything I want, if I wanted to, I can have it. But because it's there, I just don't need it. It's so weird. It's so weird. But is, that's the explanation of why having a, improving that relationship with food, knowing that everything is for you there, nothing is off limit, not, nothing is completely off from your diet, and you can have it if you want to. That's the way you can improve your relationship with food. Same with your relationship with your body, the relationship with exercise, and how you, you see progress. It is important to really pay attention to how that progress is something that you want to see on the long term and really be trying to aim for consistency over perfection. Perfection can really be challenging if you have the perfect plan, but it seems to be unsustainable and you cannot be consistent with it. So you can have a perfect plan, but there's no point to have a perfect plan if it's unattainable, unsustainable, and you're not consistent with it. I love the way that you've spoken about that emotional eating can be a positive as well, that you're attaching it to, say, one of your kids' birthdays or an anniversary or something like that and attaching it to that. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, it's like it's a negative word. It's the language that we use, that it, that we that we can we latch on to, like the good or bad foods. There is no moral compass with foods. They don't have a moral compass. So how can they be good or bad? But I think the, the use of language changing your mindset on that. I think when people do get to that point, and can get to that point about kind of like the acceptance of self-compassion with themselves around food, that's when like an almost a proverbial weight just drops off their shoulders. And, the, and like as you said, like you were pushing, 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 and then one day or one moment you're like, no, I actually don't need to strive for perfection all the time. I think that's huge. It kind of leads into kind of like some of the unhealthy habits that have kind of were potentially adopted by a lot of people in 2020. And a lot of people would have set goals or kind of New Year's resolutions in January or December for 2021. Have you got any tips on how to bring them back in if you haven't necessarily been sticking to them or they may have dropped off in the first quarter of 2021? I, I think the one first thing I would say is to really have a realistic expectations and really have goals that are smart. So you probably have spoken about this a lot or your audience might have heard before about planning smart goals. So really paying attention that they are sustainable, they are measurable, they are attainable, they can be timely and they are relevant. So all of these things need to be in place and exercise, just do an exercise. So sitting down and 
really asking first and the first thing, why do you want to achieve that in the first place? Do you want to lose weight? Yeah, perfect. How much? By when? Why do you want to do that? Is it relevant to you? Sometimes this is the most important thing is really asking yourself, is this really something that is going to be relevant to me? So you got to ask questions, the why, more than five times. So sometimes like you're losing weight, oh, because I want to look good. Okay. Why do you want to look good? Um, well, because, you know, uh, I just feel more comfortable in my skin when I lose weight. Okay. Why do you feel more comfortable in your skin? Oh, because when I was a kid, I used to be bullied by my friends. And now, and now I, I want to feel like I can just achieve that. Okay. And why is that important to you? So you start going deep and deep and deep. And then you find the, the actual deepest motivation that is going to bring that when, when someone says that deeper motivation and that is revealed and they kind of speak it out loud, they identify, oh, this is my real why. I really want to achieve these things. And that makes, it, that makes your goal much more powerful and really wanting to achieve it. It's not just like, oh, I just want to look good. So in the times that you need to grind and the, the, you're, there are going to be times that are harder than others and that you seem that you want to quit, you remember why you even started. And the, then you remember, oh, I remember when I set this goal, this was my why. And I think I dream, I really want to stand up for it. So people continue to grind and continue to push for it just because it is very meaningful and important for them to do that. So on a side, uh, after you have set up a actual SMART goal, you want to think about certain habits and attitudes and behaviors that are not really helpful. And those, for example, can be few that I have already spoken about, about uh, that is demonizing foods in the first place, looking at foods that are bad in your diet, that sh you shouldn't be having them. They have like this moral value that some of them should not necessarily be adopted or included in your diet because they are not good for your health. And the important thing about this is that foods are not good or bad. And there's no food specifically that seems to be inherently fat, fattening or unhealthy. It's the, the quantity. So the, the dose makes a poison. You can eat, you can drink water in, and you can eat, drink five liters of water in 10 minutes and you can die, literally from hyponatremia. So even the healthiest thing in the world is water. So it's like we are 60, 70% water made in water and you know if we can die from eating drinking water like that's that's it sort of the what i want to get to is that nothing in particular is bad is the quantities the frequency and how much you have of it so that's the point to really be make peace with food and really look at food in the spectrum. You will have foods that are quite nutritious and they should be 
part of your diet for the most part. So be part of like that 80%. And the only the other 20% that less nutritious diets, uh, less nutritious foods are going to be those that you're going to have in moderation, that 20% that can be the foods you enjoy, the foods you that really makes you feel good, that brings memories. Like I remember when I eat um, empanadas and that's a Venezuelan uh, dish, it is a, a fried dough with cheese inside. And that remembers my childhood and when my grandma used to make that for me. And that's something that I wouldn't eat every day. But if I eat it once a month or once every two weeks, that makes me so, so happy because it's not just that I eat it. It's because I eat it mindfully and like I smell it. I remember when my grandma used to make it. Like it brings memories with it. It makes me feel so, so connected. Now that I haven't seen her for five years since I moved to Australia and I haven't been able to, to fly back. It is so many emotions connected to certain things that you want to allow yourself to have them. So this is why I feel like that one particular point of demonizing foods is so, so important to completely turn it around and see it differently. And that brings, you, brings me to, to talk about the other point, which is the all or nothing mentality, rather than trying to find a middle ground, uh, trying to make room for everything in moderation. You can still have things that you enjoy and have, and still achieve your goals. I actually just recently posted a um, something in Instagram about what even even if you wonder whether you can have or eat or drink certain things and still achieve your weight loss goals, you definitely can because there's no problem as long as you create a calorie deficit. If you're in a real calorie deficit, whatever you eat within that calorie budget, you will still be able to achieve your goals of fat loss. So what, when I say this is because this mentality of all or nothing, if you have something, if you eat something or you couldn't have it, then you feel like you messed up or like you ruined your diet. And then because you felt that you ruined your diet, you kind of, you know what, fuck it, I quit. This is not for me. And it's this idea of bringing back the, that you haven't messed up or you haven't fucked up. It is more about, you know what, it's okay. One day it's not going to make a huge difference. No one got thin from eating one salad or no one ever got fat for just eating one donut. So it is looking at that moderation that is okay to feeding certain things in your diet as long as you obviously look at that moderation and try to find a middle ground to feed in those things. And the third tip I could talk about is that meal prepping. People have that idea that meal prepping uh, or trying to eat healthy has to be gourmet, complicated recipes. And just keep it simple, man. Keep it simple make things as easy as possible and you will see that you can still achieve your goals by trying to follow things that are just as simple as it can be 
Like I can put my myself as an example. I could pretty much buy things that are pre-prepared, pre-made, pre-washed, like the vegetables. I buy the salads that come in a packet. I don't need, I don't have time. I don't have the patience to wash every single lettuce and vegetable and put them together in a bowl. I don't, I, if I had to do that, I will probably be very inconsistent or I would probably end up not eating vegetables. So to not do that, I just buy them pre-washed, pre-cut, they're ready to put it in, a, in, my, in my bowl and they're ready. So same with other things like chicken or like I, I buy things that they either pre-packed and pre-prepared, like I buy shredded chicken breast or sliced chicken breast or just cooked chicken breast. So I don't have to cook it. I don't have to, time for it. Or because sometimes I always in a rush that it's just so convenient to just grab that and I can take it to work or I can just have a, a quick lunch. I don't, I don't need to depend on, on cooking to do that. So it, it saves me some time, but it also sometimes takes me out of the stress of what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna eat because it's already there, it's prepared. Or like you can rely in like meal deliveries that nowadays they're very popular, they're very convenient. As long as you're familiar with the portion sizes and the, the ingredients they use and that kind of things. But there are ways to make things easier that are going to allow you to be more consistent and be in peace that you can have a good diet and a healthy diet without necessarily following recipes. I've never followed a recipe in my life, like ever. I don't have, and I am a dietitian, but I don't, I just don't like recipes. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I'm weird. I'm sorry. I know I'm weird. No, it's fine. Like, like even your uh, your granny's um, recipe that you were talking about earlier, you wouldn't even follow that. Oh, I don't need to. You see, so easy. it's all fair. I, like I, said, <laughs> I, I can follow things that are very, very simple and easy. Yeah. But if they start looking at a recipe that has like fifteen ingre- different ingredients, I start looking at the list and like, hmm, what I don't have. And I started rather than I actually, <laughs> I don't really feel like I actually am looking at the ingredients to see, oh, what, what I need to buy to put it together. I actually start thinking, oh, I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have this. Nah, fuck it. That's too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just weird. But if it's easy, like if it has three ingredients and it is easy to do and it's quick, it's less than, less than 15 minutes, I could do it. I'm, I'm good if it's short, quick and easy. But if, you, if, if I have to boil first and then use a mixer and then put it in the oven and wait 45 minutes, oh, no, no, too much. It's too, too much. much time. I can't wait. I don't have that patience. My mom likes it and she can do, like, she actually made my wedding cake. And I'm so proud of her. I, like, she was, like, following all these recipes and she was so meticulous and doing perfect things. Like, I admire you, mom. You're so perfect. <laughs> I think what you mentioned there about, I think my clients will be kind of uh, like the five whys, the, the, the more than five whys. Sometimes when you get to like the third or fourth why, that's when it's kind of like very difficult for people because it kind of makes them dig deeper a little bit um, as well. But you mentioned there about the, the danger in the dose. 
in remember in relation to the food it doesn't matter if it's so-called nutritious food or a less nutritious food even with the, the likes the water that you spoke about if you drink five liters of water in 10 minutes you're going to be in trouble so i think that has to be that has to be massive that's that's incredible as well the, the one question i was going to ask was in, re- in relation to kind of reverse dieting and, and versus recovery diets is slower better than aggressive or is aggressive better than slower uh, in relation to kind of reverse diets can you explain what both mean first and then can you the main differences and stuff oh yeah sure so reverse dieting and recovery diet they similar in the sense that it is it's an increase of calories to aim for an increase of body weight now the difference is that reverse diet is going to be a little bit more gentle it's a gentle increase whereas the recovery diet is more aggressive in terms of the time frame and the approach and this is basically depending on where the athlete or the person is at in terms of body fat and the metabolic adaptations so generally with a reverse diet you might utilize it with someone who is not as lean or it, it got to a point that they were quite lean uh, but the metabolic adaptations weren't that serious or the person is going like if it's a athlete an athlete that is going to compete on a consecutive consecutive shows you might want this person to not completely gain uh all the body fat they need to be for for them to be healthy again because they cannot get there just yet because they are competing back to back but if it's someone who decides to finish a, ch- a show, for example, they go to a very lean body body fat percentage and they're ready to just go off season and not compete anymore, you can, pr- you can f- easily uh, approach with a reverse diet slowly, progressively, uh, especially women might, might benefit a little bit more for the, my- my, like the mindset aspect, the psychological aspect, of get of then gaining fat much slower and increasing these calories much slower versus recovery diet is trying to recover uh, at least an amount of body weight and body fat to as fast as possible within the first four to six weeks to for them to be rapidly recovered all the metabolic adaptations leptin sleep all the like actual metabolic rate all of these kind of things um, especially hunger management because when they have finished a show or they are very low in the body fat they tend to be in a position where they are very likely to gain body fat much rapidly it's like when we have a very dry sponge and you put it into water they soak the water so much that they are just in the perfect set to gain body fat so quickly. So it just really depends on the athlete, the amount of metabolic adaptations, what the goal is for that person. Um, And sometimes it is just about the coach's approach. Some coaches like recovery diet, like Eric Helms, uh, is one one of those who really pushes uh, the, their athletes to do more like a, a more aggressive approach to that recovery for them to 
get get potentially into a bulking phase or a building phase or just a maintenance phase for longer term of season or like Lane Norton likes reverse side. Uh, he's more like someone who will be advocating for a slow increase of, of calories, more controlled calories, and for a longer term. So like over 12 weeks, um, a few months versus recovery diet is as much as we can put you in a surplus that you can get, gain weight within the next four, four to six weeks. So it's getting in, getting out and putting you in a rapid fat, uh, fat gain, but it seems to be fat gain until you have recovered a bit. I think it is about five to 10% of your, of your body weight where you, when you started something like that. I'm not, I'm not 200% sure. I think it is. Yeah. So you, you want to regain between five to 10% uh, at the end of the contest prep, prep weight that you have in the shortest period versus the reverse side, you want to gain the least amount of body fat as least as possible. So like it is probably a range between 0.2 to 0.5% of gain, additional gain, and try to mitigate, continue to increase your calories while your body fat stays relatively the same. So you might end up gaining one to three percent of total body fat by the end of the reverse diet over twelve weeks. So it is very different compared to that five to ten percent body weight that you gain in five weeks. And I think what you've said there, like it depends on the coach, it depends on the person, depends on where they are psychologically as well and and, and physiologically as well. So I think that's really really important on that side of things. The, the last question that I'm going to ask Astrid is in relation to IF and intermittent fasting, because yeah. I think a lot of people tend to go for IF quite quickly um, without really understanding the benefits, the procedures in place for it. Like, is IF uh, the way to go for a lot of people or do you find that for some people it can be another extreme that it can almost store all the calories for the end of the day and then overindulgence can happen and that guilt kind of loop that we spoke about earlier on can kind of can kind of ensue yeah i think intermittent fasting is a tool that could be very very beneficial and work for a lot of people quite well but not for everyone so it's like any tool like when we speak about uh plant-based diets or keto diets or any, any type of diet, they are all tools in a toolbox. And when you understand what is your personality, your preferences, what is your habits, your lifestyle, you can be a little bit more accurate on the type of tool you choose to use to, to see what happens with your in your journey. Usually, a lot of people take these tools not well informed or potentially they they are copying someone who used it for them to use it because it worked for them so it should work for me but they are not necessarily going into this approach as oh i'll see how it goes i am going to try it 
No, they go in thinking this is the only diet I should be following because this is the only way to lose weight because that, that worked for Karen. So if I work for Karen, it should work for me. So going into this, this type of diet, especially that, you know, the all different diets will have some kind of restrictive pattern or it will eliminate something out of your diet or will limit or put you put certain rules in place. So you obviously need to follow them to accomplish the, the goals of that particular diet is that like if I, if I, if we look at the intermittent fasting, you're going to restrict your calories within a, a specific window of the time of the day. But if you're someone who like this, especially certain people that are trying to follow these extreme, uh, extremer approaches of intermittent fasting, like fasting every other day and just eating 500 calories or these, uh, I don't know, this warrior diets where you only eat between 200 and 500 calories. Uh, and then you fast one day completely. And then the other day you eat normally. So this type of extremer types of intermediate fasting are the ones that I not, I'm not too convinced they are amazing because they can really mess with a lot of people if they don't know how to go about it. Or sometimes they think, well, I'm going to use it to lose weight, but they are not necessarily paying attention to how much they can compensate the days they actually eat. So you might plan a deficit of 500 calories, but because the next day you were ha you had the permission to go and eat a little bit more normal, but you're not tracking necessarily, you don't know how many calories you're eating, you're going to compensate somehow for the calories you didn't have yesterday. And that's something unconscious. unconscious. Yeah. It's not something that you will do on purpose. So some people say, well, I'm doing intermediate fasting, but I'm not losing weight. And like, well, you probably are creating your calorie deficit. You're only eating 500 calories every other day. But what is happening the days you actually sit and eat that you have no restrictions into the deficit or you don't need to plan a deficit because you can eat, let's say you're still, you're still eating within a window, but people can eat 5,000 calories in less than two hours. I've seen it. And I think you might have seen it too. So yeah. the problem doesn't seem to be the window because within the window, you can eat how many calories you want to have. Like I've seen people eating more than 5,000 calories in less than three hours or I two hours. So, so what I think is, and sometimes it's not necessarily it's a lot of food. They can choose foods that are very highly palatable yeah. and very uh, energy dense. And it might not be that much. Like just eating a bag of, uh, I don't know, of peanuts, for example, or, or nuts, just that can have like 3,000 calories, like a 500 gram yeah. of nuts. And that's so easy to eat. Like I can't tell you how many times I could just continue eating one bag of nuts and I am not full. Like I could keep going. Or like having a jar on your own of Nutella or peanut butter. That's so easy. I, I don't get full with that. I can literally eat two jars a day or one jar and I'm 
it's easy. So I don't think it is that, that, that hard, depending on the foods you choose. Obviously, if you decide to eat 3,000 calories from lettuce and spinach, I don't think that's going to end well, though. But <laughs> yeah. it's like the, you it's get like- my point. It's like the 10,000 calorie challenge that a lot of people do. And I would not advise that to anyone that is listening to this. But I think what you spoke about intermittent fasting in that, and poor Karen, she always gets brought up in, as an example. Um, but I think it's a huge important that like what, what works for Karen may not work for you. And I think that has to be brought into like, it, it's what's you, what, what works to your routine, what works to your behaviors, what works to your psychology, what works for you may be completely different. You may feel better kind of having your regular meals you may feel better eating a little bit later in the evenings that's that's okay and there's nothing wrong with that but i think we need to dro- like almost drop the kind of like the, the tribalism or as you spoke about earlier their identity to the diet and drop that and detach away from that and say right this is my lifestyle and that's what i want to do it's not attaching to an extreme it's right this is what this is how i feel this is this is what i want to to, to kind of live my life like um but Astrid, i can't thank you enough for I don't know what time it is over there, but I know it's late. Where can people find out about coaching with yourself? Where can people find out about your Instagram and coaching for yourself and with uh, with a certain bio lane? So I'm going to have, um, like, everything you, you want to know about me is going to be in my Instagram. So my Instagram is like my baby. I put everything in there. So if you want to know anything about me, you can DM me directly uh, or email me to my email that is attached in my profile. Um, and yeah, you can follow me in my little YouTube. I'm just four followers to uh, four subscribers to get to uh, 1000 fo- uh, subscribers. So just getting there slowly, but very, very happy with how much I am learning in the process. I feel like I do this because it sort of helps me to stay on, on track and always learning about new things, new skills. Like I never thought I would be able to learn about how to communicate science in such a simple way or create posts that are so, so dynamic, so simple, so, I don't know, so well-designed that attracts people, calls people attention. Like I didn't have any skills in this design or creating posts or anything like that. And I've learned everything on my own over the years. So I think that I really like that. And now I'm learning how to edit videos on my own. Like I do everything myself. I don't have, I don't hire anyone to do it. So yeah, I'm proud that I'm learning a lot. <laughs> you should be. It's an, it's an incredible platform. And like, I highly recommend whoever's listening to this right now, go and follow Astrid because some of the information that she puts out, as Astrid has said, is it's highly technical stuff, but it's put into words that a five-year-old can understand and apply to their lives. And that's when you truly understand something. And that's the difference between Astrid and some other coaches that are out in the, the world at the minute. But Astrid, thank you so much for, for coming on, uh, for, for spreading the, the word. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. And um yeah hopefully we can do this again i enjoy so much amazing